Thanks for joining us for our conversation this week. I'm Amy Tokas, co-host of Your Real, Your Ideal with Sandy Lane. In the book, The Measure, this one morning, everyone over the age of 22 receives a box with a string that tells them the length of their life. Sandy and I discuss whether we would open the box. How about you? If you did, what would you do with the information? It's all in this episode. Always keeping it real. Thanks for listening to Your Real, Your Ideal. Enjoy the conversation. Well, hello, Sandy. Amy, hello. We've got our warm turtlenecks on. I know. It's so chilly. January, it's freezing here. How about there? Oh, it's cold. Um, yeah, it's cold. I ran this morning and it was single digits. But oh. as always, when you get up to exercise, you're always glad you did it when you're done. Right, exactly. Very good. Very good. All right. So today we're talking about a book called The Measure. And I recently read this for uh, my book club in Kansas City at our apartment complex, which I'm just going to say this book club, new is, book club. Yes, it's a new book club. And it's a very diverse group of people. There's, uh, there's three men in the group, which I've never been in a book club with men. Also, it's always been just women. And there's probably about six or seven women. Um, the men are one's probably in his thirties, one in his late forties and one's retired probably sixties, seventies. I don't know. And his wife is part of the group, the retired couple. And then there's a multi-generational women also. So there's a late twenties, there's the thirties, there's a couple of forties, a couple of fifties. So anyway, it's a very diverse group of people. And one of the books that we chose was the measure and we're reading it. We're discussing it next week. And it is the concept. I'm going to share the concept of the book because it's a really fascinating discussion. Like I've never read a book like this, but everybody in one evening, they wake up in the morning and on the front door, they have a small wooden box and the box holds their fate inside and it's the answer to the exact number of years they will live. Okay. So the book talks about the journey to discover it. And it turns out that it tells you exactly to the month as through time, they figure it out to the month, how long you're going to live. And then, um, on the note, the note on the box says the measure of your life lies within. So uh, just so you know, I, I'm going to put an asterisk by our whole discussion. There's going to be some spoilers in here about the book. So just for anybody who, if you're going to read it, you can shut off right now and come back to listen, or you can listen and just, I just want to make sure everybody's Spoiler aware. Alert. Spoiler alert. All right. So first question, would you open the box? Because you don't have to open the box. Like the box arrives. And everybody in the world has gotten it. Everybody over the age of 22. Okay. So they've, everybody's wakes up to this box on their front step. They don't know what's in the box initially. And then people start opening it and they start realizing what it is. I'd probably wait. Did you, would you have to open it right away? 
You don't have to do anything. I don't think I would impulsively open it. I think I'd really want to open it. And I bet I would ultimately open it. But I think I would kind of let it play out and see how that worked out for everybody else. I, it might even be a year before I open it. Um, how about you? Um, I think I would open it. But I, I'm torn between the two because there's this, you know, last time or a couple of times we talked about things we took for granted. And so what happens in the book is there's, they become two groups of people. They become the short stringers and the short stringers are actually going to support groups because, you know, they're, and they can have like short, short stringers, medium, short stringers. And, you know, they were going to those support groups. Um, and then there's the long stringers and that the string ended up defining people. So if you knew, I just think it would be really hard. Like I think about things like insurance, you know, is a short stringer going to get insured? There's a whole story in there about, um, the military that there's two boys at a military academy and they open their strings and one's got a long string and one's got a short string. Well, the military has decided short stringers are getting desk job jobs and long stringers are going to go to battle because they're guaranteed to live. Wow. Counterintuitive, but not right. but, you know, the first thing. So I had no idea. So this is cool because Amy's telling me about the book. I, she had told me briefly about it before you finished it. And I thought I'm going to wait and I'm going to hear about it now. So I can kind of give my initial, it'd be interesting. I'm not thinking about myself so much, but I'm thinking about my kids. If yeah. I knew my kids were short stringers, would I be that parent or even sister, brother, that I, people that are close to me, if they were a short stringer, would I not want to share them with anyone? Would I, you know, would I be the person to say, go out and live and enjoy, or would I be suffocating to want to spend every living hour with them? And would you take for granted the long stringers thinking, okay, I got to put, you know, if all three kids know what theirs is, I'm going to, am I going to invest in the shorter stringer and then not invest in the long, think about all the mental, and I'm just using kids as an example of how I would react to that. Right. Right. I mean, just knowing that could, I mean, it could be a game changer on how you treat each of them. Right. And so there was a story about, um, a girl, she did not open her box and she met a person who, and that really connected and he was a short stringer and she was torn between, do I invest in this relationship knowing that it's going to end it's not going to last my lifetime or do I invest in relationship? Do I look for somebody who's also a long stringer? So I have many happy years. Well, since this is, this is a spoiler, are you going to tell us what happened? <laughs> well, she, um, she decided to, uh, invest in the short stringer and really they had, 
they had a wonderful relationship. And what they did is they prepared because they ended up having a couple of kids. I think his short string was like 10 years out. And so they had a good 10 years. They had a couple of kids. They prepared knowing when he was going to pass away. I mean, they had it down to the month. And so everything was in order, which wonderful, right? Um, But what ended up, she also, she did not know this, but she also had the exact same string. She She hadn't looked at hers. And so they passed away in a car accident together. Interesting. You know, um, which was so sad. Like that was the thing that I was like crying. I was like, oh my gosh, but it was also beautiful. But anyway. So have we talked about the book when breath becomes air? Yes. Have you ever read that book? I haven't. Sure. Remind me about it. Cause I feel like you've mentioned it before. One of my favorite books, but it's Paul Kalanithi and Paul is a, was a young surgeon. And, um, it, it was, it's actually a number one best-selling book. And he had a colorful background because he grew up in Kingman. My dad was his barber. And now that that makes him colorful, but it, <laughs> there was family ties. And I went to a book signing thinking, oh, these, I always heard about doctor, because his dad's a doctor, Dr. Klanathy, the Klanathy boys. And when I told my book club friends, they said, Sandy, that's like the number one New York Times bestseller right now. And I had no idea. Um, Because of that, and because of the ties with my family and with Kingman, I have kept up on the the family too. But the storyline is he actually went to, gosh, was it Cambridge where he got a literary um, scholarship? So he's a very good writer, but then he turned and became a surgeon. And when he was a young surgeon married to another young doctor, uh, both just out of their fellowships, he found out he had terminal cancer. And the reason, so, so when breath becomes air for him, the, the reality of knowing that he had the short string. Okay. So he knew he had the short string and because of his scientific mind, how he would look at your breath becomes air and these acts of living. Right. And so the book is beautiful. And the first half is more of a memoir, you know, his background, and he's a very good writer. And the second half was his dying but what I've always said is it isn't so much a book about dying, but it's a book about living. Okay. Right. But he right. had his short string, but there was one part in there when you talked about this couple and having children, he and his wife um, had a really had a lot of debate on whether they should have children because he was already diagnosed. You know, they were too busy, too busy. And let's just say they were in their early thirties. And now it was the discussion should we do this? And her comments were, how can we do this to a child? How can we bring a child in the, into the world knowing that, you know, there's going to be that one parent that dies and how can we do this to you, Paul, for you to have this baby that you would love and then you would die and you would be able to see be raised. And his answer to that was, isn't that the most beautiful thing? To, to be loved and to love 
in a way that one would miss the other, isn't that what life is all about? Right. So they did have a baby then. They had a baby and he died when the baby was two. And um, I've kept up on, because I found her on some podcasts later on because she actually helped finish the book. He died. He wrote 90% of it, but the editing process and the finishing. So she finished the book and she ended up marrying a, a widower that she had met on the book tour that had a similar, not similar, but I mean, he, he had a book with that same type of a theme and yeah, she ended up getting remarried, but I loved how he looked at that and said, isn't that the most beautiful thing? If to be, have the true love, isn't that what love is all about? And why would we say we wouldn't want that because we're afraid we're going to lose it? That's a beautiful thing. Exactly. And that's kind of about how this book handled that relationship of she came to terms, like she was scared. It was all this fear, but then she did come to terms with like, how can I let this go. I may never have this again. So if I just have this for 10 years, it's going to be a beautiful thing and I can enjoy it and thrive in that. And then, you know, who knows what the next chapter will bring. And, but imagine she didn't open her string and she was a short, short stringer too. So she could have said no to it and gone off and not had that joy and that happiness in those children. And then she still would have, um, you know, this, the ending would have been the same for her, except for without all that in her life. And, you know, here, Amy, we're talking about death, but there's also whether something can be long-term a relationship, a love, what have you. And so using Garrett and I, as an example, when we first started dating, there was no reality in where it was going, right? Because we lived in two completely different cities. We had young kids. And if we focused on, okay, why are we in that? Why are we investing so much time in this relationship? Which is what a lot of people challenged us with was you're, you could be dating other people and you're wasting this time and where's it going? So it wasn't, we're not talking about death, but that whole, why am I doing this? And we just said, we got to have faith in the love and the process. And we'd look at things a day, a month, you know, I don't think we could plan out more than a few months at a time, honestly, between the fluidity of the kids activities and our careers. But sometimes you got to take a leap of faith but then the devil's advocate to that is there's got to be a practicality in that because there's a reason one night stands aren't good things either. Right. 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 So what's the balance? I guess what's the balance, right? Don't take that leap of faith. (laughs) Don't take that leap of faith. It feels good. Why not do it? Well, there is a balance. There's, there was this one line in the book that I wanted to share with you. And this was somebody who had a short string. And so it's the quote is, I arise in the morning torn between a desire to save the world and a desire to savor the world. That makes it hard to plan the day. I love that. I've heard similar, but I I can totally relate to that. 
because yeah. I feel that way in my daily life. You know, I want to have fun, but I want to get things done and plan and <laughs> balance the two, which is really the answer to this, right? Is yeah. you, you, you can't, even in this case, you can't plan everything. Even when you know you're, when you're going to die, you think that's going to give a relief because you know, the ultimate answer, but that isn't everything. Right. And it's about savoring the time. You can't let the planning take over your life. Um, so there's a couple of things that are coming to mind right now, right now I am in St. Louis and Tom's mom passed away in December. And I think we talked a little bit about this, but she was diagnosed in May and we knew her string was short from that, that diagnosis in May it was pretty bad, but she still felt good in May. And so she was pretty optimistic about how she wanted to spend her time. And I'm going to tell you going through her house right now, she intentionally gave things to people that she wanted people to have. She, um, we went on a trip in July with the whole family. Like she did things up until about October Uh, because she still felt like doing it. So it's kind of like she was savoring it, but she was also, you know, planning. So she had a really good balance, which is good. As long as she felt good, she did really well. What a gift to her family. Right, exactly. But the other story, um, Marie Kondo just came out with something. I don't know. Did you see that? (laughs) Tidy's not so important to her anymore. Exactly. I was like, oh, amen. I'm like, you go, girl. (laughs) There are things more important than having a perfect house. And her comment is more about savoring time with her family than having the perfect, the house be in perfect shape all the time. So it's, I think a shift in priorities happen throughout our life. Like, you don't have children, it's easy to have a perfect space or not, you know, it's just, it's different. Like right now for me, it's super easy to have a perfect space because it's just me and Tom. And so there's very little coming in, very little going out. It's just very minimalist compared to. I think mine is the same way. And the thing I'm thinking about tying back what we're talking about here and having, I guess, more time to think and take things in is just, there's something to be said about going into new relationships too, with not wanting anything in return, because let's be real, even though I think both of us were really good about being open-minded to all friendships and all people you were looking for the carpool person. You were looking for play dates for your kids. You were looking right. for networking up. I mean, it was in the back of your mind. Oh, we're in the same, you know, commonality. And yeah. so back to the string, right? And the measure is, and then taking the, not a forever relationship or not knowing where it's going versus a, you know, uh, the, the, the one night stand, you know, the difference between the two, the reality is if you're open-minded in investing in a relationship, not a quick, I'm going to get something for it. That makes me feel good. Like, Oh, gee, I'm going to impress somebody with, um, 
by telling them everything I accomplished over the years when it's not just about me, but it's about the openness of a relationship. You just see where it takes you, right? But it's right. got to be mutually beneficial. And there's something pure about not having anything to gain. And I would think the one thing with the short string is you'd be kind of picky about your relationships, but you'd probably would be thinking more about not tidying up the house and savoring the moments too. Yeah. I think it would be very, uh, you would want to be considering the quality of your relationships. I think if you had a short string, it would probably be easier to say, all right, I know which friends I really enjoy hanging out with, and I'm not going to spend my short amount of time on the ones that are bringing me down and like making me feel yucky and do it, whatever it is. But I would say that could be how we should be living, whether we're short strings and truth be told, we don't know if we're short stringers or long stringers. So you have to pick the, the best of both of those outcomes and figure out how to proceed and where to invest your time. Cause no matter what time is, um, it's fragile. It's our, it's my most treasured asset, um, is my time in my relationships, I would say. And they interplay because I have to make choices back and forth. And it, it is interesting. And, you know, you're, you're, just getting into this too and being in a new city. And sometimes it's not just a new city. Sometimes it's a new job. Sometimes it's a new stage of life, but back to that, how we choose to use our time. And, you know, I've run into people that are more concerned in the next door app. And, and I'm like, I get home and I'm like, that's just gossipy. And I, you know, back to, you know, Marie Kondo, you know, it's like, I, I sit in my own shit. Why would I talk about somebody else's? Right. I mean, right. trust me, I just spilled a salad on the floor, you know, and the dog only got half of his walk and I actually had my Uggs on and sweatpants down below. So, but I have had no problem, you know, very politely, you know, not continuing relationships. There's no breakup. There's nothing bad. And then today, as I'm running, because I've been here three years, and again, we've had COVID, we've had, but I found this running group, and, um, you know, I'm young for this running group, because it's an older group that's watching out for making sure we're not, we're not going for running up the mountain, we're going for staying fit, and they do all kinds of exercise, but, you know, we spent the run talking about one lady runs uh, the Earth Day um Earth Day promotion parade and trying to get volunteers and the the others chiming in on what she does. One took up the drums. I'm like, I could, hang, you know, I can hang with them because I left learning more about Earth Day and what it takes to set that up. And it was just interesting and it's intriguing to be out and about. But that's an example of, you know, regardless of what my string is and regardless of how messy that can be, because we didn't run at record time and we had to stop to go across the ice. It was, uh, it was a good use of my little piece of my string today. Right. Exactly. Good for you. I yeah. love that. 
And one lady said she was trying to decide whether or not to wear spikes. She's like, oh, I turned 70 next week. And I never would have guessed her to be 70. You'd never guess her if you saw like her physique. And um, she's like, I'm not, I'm not breaking a wrist or an ankle. And just, you know, that philosophy too, is we do know our string is shorter. So she's not going to waste it in rehab or getting, you know, she's going to impress anybody. She's going to wear spikes because there's that realization. And that's one thing I'll tell you too, by hanging out with this group of older ladies is they know that that string, whether it be physical activity, what they can do with that string is, is dwindling no matter what you don't, you get to a point in your life where you're not thinking about the infinitely forever string. Right. Exactly. We're not in our twenties thinking that we have, you know, 50, 60 years we're in our fifties and we're seeing things happen. People passing away that are our age, five or 10 years older. And it's like, Oh, my shorts getting stringer or my strings getting shorter and shorter. Your shorts can uh, get stringer too. But yeah. Amy, Amy, you got to tell me before we run out of time, the people that had the long strings, yeah. what were the biggest pitfalls that happened with the ones that opened their string and the string was long? Was there a benefit uh, to that or what was the biggest obstacle? The biggest obstacle in the book, I would say was, so it was different for different people. Um, one of them was how to have relationships with short stringers because there was one, there, one of the boys who opened his string and it was short, his parents both had long strings and he was afraid to tell them because he knew he was going to be gone before them. Um, so I think it was a lot of handling that stuff was difficult though for the long stringers and also this lack of urgency of putting uh, it off. I'll do it. like it all the time in the world. I, I know exactly how long I've got. So I've got tomorrow. I've got the next day and that's something we are, we're not all guaranteed. So we don't know that. Um, so anyway, that was all, it was, it was interesting how it all played out. The, there was a military to military boys and they ended up the one with the short string really wanted to be out fighting and, you know, flying the jets. That's what he wanted. But the one with the long string what, did not want that. He was in the military because his family had all been in the military at the academy. And, you know, that was like, he was doing it out of an obligation. It's not what he wanted. So those two actually switched strings and they did not tell anybody. They, well, because the verbalizing, so they didn't verbally change their, I gotcha. Interesting. It didn't switch their outcome, but that's what they told the military that they had different strings. I don't know if I would open my string now. I don't know, but I don't know if I could stop myself. It would be hard to stop yourself. So one of the things we've talked about a couple of times on the podcast is this theory of how to die broke. If you knew your string length, then you could do that. Mm -hmm. Like you could get it down to, all right, I know this month, this year, that's when I can run out of money. But the reality of that 
I, we last week I saw an article on it and I sent it to you because I was like, okay, so the reality is more difficult because you don't know. So you, you don't want to run out of money too soon and then live another 10, 15 years and be broke for 10 or 15 years. Um, so this article was like finding that balance and to die secure, not broke. And, and so you don't want to die rich. You don't want to and die with broke. The, nobody knows. Like with the issue with healthcare costs, you can't plan healthcare costs. You have no idea if you're going to, you know, that can make you bankrupt. It's, I think it's the number one reason for bankruptcy in the United States. So throw in aging healthcare and not knowing when you're going to die. There's way too many unknowns. I think the key is not obsessing over too much to the point where you're not able to live your life because you, you're, you're so worried about not having enough. I mean, you've got to just, you, you, at the end of the day, you don't know, we don't know. So we do the best we can to make sure, just like you said, it's all about security, but without the string and without known costs, it's impossible to nail it. Not impossible. I guess you could. Uh, It's harder. Um, I will say there was something about generational wealth because a lot of people are like, I'm hanging on to my money to give to my children, you know, for generational wealth. And I read a survey where people are actually happier. The people who earn the money are happier than the people who inherit the money. And a little bit of something isn't bad, you know, a little bit of something for, to help with the security is what I'd say. You know, it's not about gaining wealth, a little bit of security that comes down wonderful. Okay. If everyone in our family died broke and we got nothing, I'm that that's the plan. Right. But if there's a little bit of something to me, that was the best planning on my part that added just a little bit of security for the next generation. But I have never seen an instance where money that was inherited or the lottery ever came out to really a good end. And because it wasn't earned because people were taken advantage of, there's so many tentacles of this, one of the seven deadly sins of greed that it's getting preyed on and your own mind games and how you feel about it. There's guilt. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go with that. Right. Right. All right. So we need to wrap up today. What's the real and what's the ideal. So I guess what's the real of lifespan. I I guess the real is we're not going to wake up to a box outside of our door with a string in it. Right. We don't know. (laughs) True. We do not know. (laughs) So, so the ideal I would say is to live like you're a short stringer or so, but I take that back. I take that back. You have to find the balance between thinking you're a short stringer and a long stringer, because you can't live without doing a little bit of planning for long stringing, but you also can't spend your life planning and not savoring the moment. So you're really 
you're you're betting on the middle size string. Is there a middle size string in the book? Uh, no, they just talked about long stringers and short stringers. That's I, all they talked about. Gosh, Big I love string. the middle. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, now I, I can't wait to read this book. It's good. It makes you think about what you would do in this, these situations. So it's a good book. I recommend a good it. reference. All right. Story. All right, Amy, go chiefs. All right. Thanks, Andy. Go chiefs. Go chiefs. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>